Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the middle of this series called Kingdom Come. And so we, as a church and as a people, a community, our hearts are, are bent in a, in a way where we want to make a difference in this world. Like, we talk about that a lot as, as a church, but not just our church. Like, churches say, well, we want to make a difference in the world. We, we want to change the world. But what does that actually look like? See, I, I don't want to be a person who just sits on the sidelines. I, I, I want to be a person who is active. I want to be a person who makes a difference, and I want to be a person who leaves a mark. And that's what I want for our church as well. I hope that you want that in your life. I don't know how often you think about the legacy that you leave behind or, or, or how people are going to view you when you're no longer here in this world. Um, but I pray, my prayer is that when I leave this world or, or when people think about our church or, or, or whatever it may be, that they see a community of people that care about making a difference in the lives of other people. And we can look throughout history and see many people who are difference makers or, or trendsetters in our world, right? We could, we could give a whole list of people who changed the world in a dramatic way. I think of uh, Martin Luther King Jr., who, who is a person who helped change the course of history in a dramatic fashion, right? I mean, we know, we know all the impact that Martin Luther King had. I think of a person like Isaac Newton, who changed the way that we looked at the world around us, completely changed everything because he was willing to look at things from a different perspective. But over and over again, we can see that people have the ability to make a difference. We can see that. Like, you have the ability to make a difference, but the sad part is most people don't ever think that they could actually make a difference like other people do. Like, maybe, maybe you look at other people and you're like, man, they're really having an impact on the world around them. I can't do that. I, I, I don't have that sort of influence. I, I, don't, I don't know what I could have to offer that would really make the difference in, in the lives of people around me. Uh, but the point of this series is to make sure that we as a church, but more than that, as followers of Jesus Christ, are intentional about making a difference in the world around us. Right? We want to be a congregation that our community knows about. We want to be a group of people where the, the community, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, they don't just look at us and say, oh yeah, there's a church that meets in that barn. But instead, I want the community around us to look at us and say, that church is a vital part to the health of our community because they make a difference in our community. They don't just stay in the barn, right? But rather, they're involved. They, they, they help us. They, they, they support our community. That's the type of place that, that we want to be. We want to be people who, we want, we want people to know who we are, not just by what we say, but also by what we do. And we want to be people who focus on Jesus in all that we do. So this past week was a really great week. Uh, this past week was, uh, was something called Serve Week. So um, if you didn't participate in it, it's okay, but you missed out on a great time. All, every day this past week, we served in a different 
capacity supporting a different organization. And last week, if you were here for Breakfast Church, we had all these tables set up on the side, and, um, uh, and we had organizations come that we were supporting all week. Organizations like Be More Caring that, that help feed the homeless community. Organizations like Voices for Children that support um, uh, foster children and, and, peop- and children who don't have people around them. Great opportunities where we could go and actually make a legitimate difference in the lives of other people by supporting the community. And a lot of times, I think churches have an attitude of, okay, we will serve as long as we also get something out of it, right? And that's not just churches, that's people. Okay, I will serve, but what do I get? And I've talked to, um, I've heard from other pastors at churches who, who, who literally have said, talk to um, schools in their community and said, hey, we want to support by like providing food for children who need food. And, and the schools will say, yes, we, that's a need that we have in our, in our school. We would love it if you could do that. And then the church would say, okay, but we also want to put a flyer as an invitation to church into some bags. And then the school would say, well, no, you can't do that. And then the church would say, well, then we're not providing food. It's like, this is, that's, it blows my mind. I, it, I hope that that blows your mind, but that is something that churches have actually done. Like, that's, that's not the attitude that we should have when we serve. Serving is not something that we do where we say, I will serve as long as I get fill in the blank. But rather, serving is a heart that says, my only goal in serving is to bless others, to help other people, to support other people. That's, that's our only goal, and that's the attitude that we should have. Um, there's, there's another opportunity that, that you can serve at um, throughout the, because the, we, we have opportunities to serve throughout the year, but um, Hillary in the back uh, helps support a place called Elizabeth House, which is basically a soup kitchen that feeds people um, on Thursdays. And uh, Hillary is in charge of uh, the fourth Thursday of every month providing food and, and cooking, not providing the food, but cooking the food that is provided for the community there. And she's looking for, for some more help. So if you're like, man, I would love to serve. You know, we don't only have to serve on Serve Week. Um, th- this is another great way for you to bless the community around you. So you can check out with Hillary in the back. Hillary, raise your hand for me in the back just so people know who to talk to. So if you want to serve in that way, go ahead and, and talk to Hillary. And it's a great opportunity to bless other people. So that's, that's our heart. That's our hope. And this past week at Serve Week, we were serving every day of the week by going into the community and trying to make a difference. And Pastor Terry did a great job of leading all of, our, all of our service projects. So the church should be on the forefront of making a difference. That, that's where the church should be. We should be on the front lines of saying, okay, how can we help support our world and make a difference in our world? We shouldn't be caught behind everybody else and reacting to what the world is doing around us. See, the church was never meant to sit on the sidelines. But unfortunately, the church has turned into that over history in a lot of ways. It could be because we're scared to get involved. It could be because we don't know exactly how to get involved. There are so many different reasons, but we're called to go and we're called to make a difference, not, not sit and wait and hope to make a difference. So churches are, are really good at telling people what to do, but not as good at showing people what to do all the time. You may have experienced something like this in, in your life. It's kind of like when someone says, maybe you've said this, I don't know, but I've heard other people say this, do as I say, not as I do which is the worst piece of advice that we could ever give to anybody. But I, I've, I've heard it. I'm sure you've heard it. Do as I say, not as I do. And I understand the heart behind it. The heart behind it is 
I know what is right. I may not do what is always right, but I know what is right. And in your life, I want to encourage you to trust me and do as I say, not always as I do, because I'm not always going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. No, nobody gets everything right. But why should I do what you say when you don't even do what you say? And if the church has that reputation, because the church talks all the time about how we should love people, but then when somebody walks into our doors who maybe doesn't look like us, act like us, smell like us, talk like us, whatever it may be, then all of a sudden the church can be like, oh, well, this is uncomfortable. Oh, well, I don't, I don't really like this. Yeah, we, you know what? We're a church that loves everybody. Everybody's welcome in our doors until somebody who walks into our doors that doesn't actually look like us or doesn't fit the mold of what we expect. And I'm not talking about City on a Hill specifically. I'm talking about the church as a whole. And maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you walked into a church at one point in your life and you were like, oh, I don't quite fit in here and I can feel it. Oh, this is a place that is kind of uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe this isn't the place for me. And it's a heartbreaking situation, but it has been the situation for many people. So today, we're going to look at a difference maker in the Bible named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet from God during a very difficult time for, for the nation of Israel. See, throughout history, throughout the history of Israel, they would have a lot of kings. And by the way, God told the, the Israelites, hey, you don't need a king. I'm your king. But the Israelites would look around at the world around them, and they would say, well, that nation has a king, and that nation has a king, and that nation has a king, so we need a king. And God was like, you don't need a king because you, anybody you put in charge is, is going to fail you eventually because you, we're all, you, you, people are imperfect. But I am perfect, and you can trust in me. But the nation of Israel wanted kings. So what happened? They had some, some good kings, and they had a lot of bad kings. And they would go through phases, the nation of Israel. Sometimes it would be a good king like David, for example. It's like, oh, yeah, things are going well. The nation of Israel is going the right direction. And then Solomon, his son, took over. It's like, oh, yeah, the nation's going well. We, we have good leadership, good kings. And then you would have times where you would have kings that weren't the greatest, one particular king that was especially terrible was named King Ahab. And the message version of the Bible describes Ahab this way. I love how the message version describes him. It says, Ahab did even more open evil before God than anyone yet. A new champion in evil. That's, that's how the message version describes Ahab. This guy is like the worst of the worst. I mean... He's, done, he's doing things that nobody else has done yet that are not good, that are not healthy, that, that are not positive, a new champion in evil. And this is a person who literally prides themselves on how terrible of a person they are. Have you ever encountered somebody like this? Like some, sometimes people, people will, will know that they aren't the greatest, and they're kind of like, yep, that's all right with me, like proud of it. I know that I'm a selfish person, and I don't care. I know that I'm, I'm not the easiest to get along with, and I don't care. That's just who I am. You just got to learn to accept me. It's like, well, hold on a second here. Maybe you can work on yourself just a little bit. Maybe, just a little, maybe, maybe you don't have to be as much of a jerk all the time. Maybe you don't have to be so selfish all the time. But, but Ahab was a jerk. He's like the worst of the worst, a terrible king. And Elijah is a prophet. What that means is he's speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. And he's trying to communicate the message from God. 
and he's hoping that the, that the Israelites will listen. But he finds himself in a tough situation. How is he going to make a difference in a world where there is a king that is a guy like Ahab? What can he do? His hands are tied. I mean, this guy is awful. So Ahab wanted Israel to believe in, in a false god named Baal. And he's telling the, the, the nation of Israel, Baal is the guy He's, he's the God that we're going to, to trust, and he's the guy that we're going to follow. And Elijah knew who the one true God was, and he would let people know about it. And Ahab didn't like that very much. Ahab's like, no, 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 no. Baal is the one. So we're going to talk about three important lessons that we can learn from how Elijah handled Ahab, how, how he worked in the midst of a difficult time. Because we feel like a lot of times, man, it's hard to make a difference in the world because there's so much terrible things in the world around us. So how did Elijah make a difference? Here's the first thing that, that if we want to make a difference, here's the first thing that we have to be willing to do. We have to be willing to take a stand. See, Elijah and Ahab, they end up having a face-off, okay? They, they get to a place where Ahab gathers his prophets, the prophets of Baal, against Elijah. And this is what Elijah noticed in 1 Kings 18.22. Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. He's a little outnumbered, wouldn't you say? 450 to 1. I mean, Elijah's looking around, and he's standing alone. He's looking around at 450 prophets to 1. He's totally by himself. And he's thinking to himself, huh, I'm up here by myself. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little outnumbered here. What, what he believes in this moment isn't exactly popular. However, however, just because something isn't popular doesn't make it untrue. Let me say this again. Just because something isn't popular doesn't mean that it's untrue. There are a lot of things that aren't popular, but they're true. For us as the church, it doesn't matter. See, here's the thing. The world does not dictate what the church believes. Do you follow me? The only thing that dictates what the church believes is God, is the Word of God, is Jesus. That's the only thing. It doesn't matter if it's popular in the world. It doesn't matter if it's the cool thing in the world. It doesn't matter because we talked about this a little while ago when we had our series on God and culture. We know that culture is changing rapidly, so it doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what the world says. The only thing that matters is what the Bible says. The only thing that matters is what God says, and if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that is your compass for morality. That is your compass for life, not, not what's popular, not anything else that this world has to offer. We have to understand that, and, and here's Elijah standing there, standing there by himself, yet still willing to take a stand. Because I, we know what the truth is. Being a, being a Christian, it's not a, it's not a popular thing. It's not, it's not like the popular thing in the world. And I, I'm, I know because I'm a pastor. I'm ordained, Tim. I, I'm a pastor, okay? And there are times, I, I always dread the question, I've said this before, but I always dread the question whenever anybody asks me who doesn't know me, well, what do you do for a living? Like, oh, okay. I hope that they don't change after I tell them what I do for a living. Because oftentimes they do. 
So even, even for me as a pastor, I'm like, oh, the minute that they find out that I'm a pastor, they're going to be like, oh, no. Well, what does this mean for our relationship? Can I be myself now? Can, and, and I hate it. It drives me crazy, right? I, I really don't like it. And you may have experiences just even being a follower of, of Jesus. When people find out you're a Christian, they're like, oh, are they one of those weird wacko Christians? Oh, can, can I act normal around them? Is this going to be uncomfortable for me? It's not a fun thing to do. So we know that being a Christian is not a very popular thing. But if you are concerned about being the most popular person, then do not be a follower of Jesus. Jesus was honest from day one. He always said, he always communicated, to follow him is going to be difficult. Always. A few years ago, I traveled down to Atlanta to go to a, uh, a Ravens-Falcons game in Atlanta. So I wasn't home. And if you've never gone to a sporting event supporting your team, I'm, I'm a Ravens fan, supporting your team in another city, it's a weird experience, right? It's a very weird experience. And I remember going down there, and I, my brother was there, another friend of mine, and, and we went to the game, and it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, but I remember walking around outside of the stadium before the game started, and you're completely outnumbered, right? Obviously. You're in a stadium filled with people who's, who are all rooting for the other team. But whenever I encountered another person wearing a Ravens jersey who we had no idea who we were, immediately we were family, right? Immediately we were friends. Why? Because the numbers were against us. We were completely outnumbered. So we go to the game, and we're, we're in the stands, and it was a really close game. It was a Thursday night game a few years ago. Really close game, back and forth. And um, we're sitting in, in our seats, obviously, and the row behind us, directly behind us, are also Ravens fans. So we're like, oh, great. But here's the issue. The Ravens fans behind us were very loud Ravens fans. They were very um, obnoxious. And uh, when you go into enemy territory like that, I just wanted to go and enjoy the game. And I just wanted to, to root for my team and be excited for my team. But I'm not there talking trash to anybody because uh, I'm outnumbered 450 to 1 like Elijah is, okay? Completely outnumbered. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm just here to watch a football game. But the guys behind us did not share the same perspective. The problem is, we are right in front of them, also wearing Ravens jerseys, right? So it's a back-and-forth game. The Ravens end up taking the lead with like a minute and a half left in the game. And when that happened, the guys behind us were saying words that I'm not going to say to you in church, but they, they, were, they were yelling at everybody. And so everybody turns around and is like annoyed with us as well in this situation. Turns out the Falcons go down and they score a touchdown with like, 15 seconds left in the game. Game's over. They, it was a last-minute touchdown that they go and score. And when that happened, I turned around, and the guys who were behind us vanished into thin air. I don't know when they left or how they left or how quickly they left, but they were gone. Like, as soon as the touchdown was scored, I, I never saw them leave. And I wonder if they were actually real, but I, don't, they, I never saw them leave. But I'm still there with my Ravens jersey in a stadium filled with fans of the other team in a really intense game where there were people behind us talking so much trash. So what do you think happens? Immediately, the entire section just turns around and looks at us. And I'm like, oh, no, 
we are in trouble. We've got to get out. Now, it, it wasn't like any, there weren't any fights or anything like that. And we were just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, like completely outnumbered, right? So we leave the game, and then we're trying to find our way to the, to the train station, the subway, to, to make it back to where our car is. The problem is we had to walk through where the tailgating was to get there. And we get lost as well. So we literally are walking through where all the tailgating is and all these fans, and they're laughing at us. They're throwing things at us. They're pointing at us. And we're just like, oh, my goodness. And we're trying to make it out alive. We go all the way through the tailgate, and then we're like, oh, no, we went the wrong direction. We have to walk all the way back through the same tailgate. And we're walking back, and people are like, oh, are you lost? And they're they're making fun of us. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So we finally make our way to the train station. And I remember being like, okay, let me just sit on the subway. And I sit there, and the doors are right in front of me, right? And they're still open as other people are getting on. And I'm sitting there, and we're just dejected, and we're just sad, and we're, like, exhausted. And, uh, and a guy walks past the subway station where the doors are open, and he sees me, and then he stops, and he looks at me, and he just goes... <laughs> And I was like, I, it was really funny, and I actually laughed in that moment. But in that, throughout that entire experience, I was like, for heaven's sake, I am completely outnumbered in every situation. And it was really, really not the most fun. And I, not to say that Elijah felt like he went to a football game, but here's Elijah, the only prophet of God left against 450 prophets of Baal, but he refuses to back down. He he isn't going to let anyone tell him what to believe or tell him who the true God is. See, the world is going to tell you what is right and what is wrong. They're going to tell you that. And they're going to tell you that you believe things that are incorrect. They're going to tell you that you believe things that are outdated. But they do not determine truth. God is the creator of truth and also determines truth. See, everyone is going to tell you that you're crazy. Stand firm. Stand firm. So here's Elijah. He knows he's outnumbered, but he has God on his side. So what does he do? Does does he have fear? Is Is he worried? Is he scared about what these prophets are going to do to him? So he challenges the prophets to a duel, a competition, a battle royale, if you will, okay? He challenges them to create an altar and pray to the God of your choice. Go ahead. Create an altar. Do whatever you need to do. And if your God is real, then he will light your altar on fire. So they accept the challenge. They build their own altar, and, and, and the Baal gods, or the Baal prophets, goes first, and nothing happens. They build this big altar. Nothing happens. It doesn't, it doesn't get set on fire. They're, they're, they're singing. They're worshiping Baal. They're doing all that they can to get this altar to light on fire, and nothing happens. And then Elijah even starts mocking them. He even starts making fun of them. It's awesome. He, said, he says, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe, maybe he's on business. Maybe just a little busy. These are the things that Elijah is saying to, to the prophets of Baal. Then it's Elijah's turn to build an altar. And not only does he build an altar, he has this great altar that he, that he makes, and then he soaks it in, wa- in, in water, just completely doubt, pours water 
all over the altar. And I, I'm, not like a, I'm not really a scientist, but I know that things that are wet are hard to light on fire. So he just soaks it in water. And then immediately God sets it on fire. See, he doesn't just talk a big game, but he walks it. We know that, that, that talk is cheap. We know that we can say all the right things. We know that we can communicate all the right things. But after Elijah embarrasses the prophets a bit, I mean, he embarrassed them. He is really making fun of them. And then he shows them up. After he embarrassed them, the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, were killed on the spot. And that's what would have happened to Elijah if it would have gone the other way. Because there's a crowd watching. There are people watching. And obviously, the God that Elijah's talking about is the one true God. So Elijah saw God do this miraculous thing, and he went from there to take on the world, right? Like he saw God work. He saw God embarrass the, these prophets for, for Baal. Surely Elijah is going to leave that situation, and then he's going to be set on fire himself and be like, I, there's nothing I can't do with God on my side, right? Like that's got to be the attitude that he has, right? But after seeing this, you know what Elijah did? He became scared. He became afraid, and he ran for his life because King Ahab, remember, the worst king, his wife wasn't much better. Her name was Jezebel, and she threatens Elijah. She says, I'm going to take your life. She threatens him. So Elijah, after witnessing what just happened, after witnessing how God came through, after trusting in him and after standing firm, there's more opposition that comes his way. He runs and he hides and he's scared. Which brings us to our next step in making a difference. First thing we got to do is take a stand. But the other thing we have to do is we have to listen. We have to slow down. We, we have to pay attention because Elijah goes, he runs and he hides and he's basically given up. He's tired He's worn out. All that he hears is negativity around him from the Israelites. A, he hears negativity, negativity from Ahab, neg negativity from Jezebel, he, and he's just done. He's spent. He's exhausted. So here's what it says in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. So here's, here, let me set this up a little bit better. Elijah goes, he runs, and, he's, and he hides. And he's hiding in this cave. He's hiding in this mountain because he doesn't know what's going to happen. And he's terrified. And then all of a sudden, this giant wind comes through. And it's tearing the mountain apart. But God's not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, sometimes, sometimes all that we hear are earthquakes, are tornadoes, are fires, and we miss out on what God is actually doing all around us. Because there are other things that are louder. Because there are other things that seem bigger 
Because there are other things that seem more pressing in this moment. There's too much going around, too much going on around us. So we can't take the time to stop, slow down, and talk to God or listen to God. We can't take the time to do that because there's an earthquake happening. There's a, there's a fire that's going on over here. There's this tornado that's coming through and it's just wiping out everything. I can't stop and I can't listen because this stuff is happening all around me. But Elijah's learning. Take time to talk to God. Take time to read his word. Take time to listen to God. Take time to know what he is saying. Look back on all that God has done. And this is where we find our encouragement. This is where we find our answers. This is where we find our hope. Remember what Elijah just came from. He just came from a, a, a situation where God showed his power, took care of him in the middle of being outnumbered 450 to 1. And he immediately forgets it, and he's scared, and he goes and he runs and he hides. It sounds absurd, but we do the same thing. Why? Because life happens. Have you ever gone to maybe, could even be a Sunday morning or, or, or a, a concert or a conference or a situation where you feel like, man, this is a breakthrough. I'm, I, God really met me here. God really spoke to me in a powerful way here. And you're on fire for God. You're excited. You're ready to go and make a difference. And then what happens? You go home. Then you go to work. Then life happens. And then that passion and that fire it kind of goes out. It dwindles. But my friends, let me tell you the truth. Following Jesus is not based on solely emotions. It's not based on solely how you feel. Following Jesus is a decision to die to yourself daily, to pick up your cross and follow him. And the only way that we can consistently do that is if we slow down, is if we take time, and as if we listen. Far too often, we don't stop talking. And we don't hear because we're talking so much. We hate awkward silences, right? Oh, it's, it's so uncomfortable. Some of us just hate the silence, period. Slow down and listen. And then what does God tell Elijah to do? He says, go back the way you came. Don't give up and keep pushing on. But it's not loud. It's a gentle whisper. And you can't hear the gentle whisper if you're not looking for it. If you're not intentional on getting all of the other distractions out of the way. Because the truth is there's always going to be something that you could dedicate your attention to. Always. Always. It's never ending. And if you choose it, you can just be in this rat race of life for the rest of your life, pursuing things that aren't good for you, that aren't healthy for you. Now, I'm not saying that all these things are worthless, but I am saying they are worthless if they come at the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally, if you want to make a difference, third thing that we should do. So first thing, take a stand. Second thing, listen. Third thing, invest in others. Invest in others. See, God tells Elijah 
to go and find a guy named Elisha with an S-H instead of a J. I know it's really confusing and it's really weird. And I don't know if God chooses people that you're going to mentor based off of similarities in letters in your name or not, but in this situation, he did. So he says, Elijah, go and find Elisha and anoint him as your successor. So in chapter 19, verses 19 through 20, it says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. And Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So this, is, this sounds really weird to us. I understand this. It's like, do they even know each other? Like, what would you be doing if you were just out there mowing your lawn and a guy walks up to you or, or a woman walks up to you and just takes their cloak and they just drape it over your shoulders as you're cutting the grass? Be like, what is, what is happening? What is, who is this crazy? Are you living in my backyard? Where did you come from? Like, it would be very, very weird. But this is, this is a different time, okay? Um, so he goes up and he drapes his cloak over Elisha and then just walks away like he's a magician or something. Like, and he just walks down the road. And he's like, I've got to follow this guy. And he leaves everything behind to go and follow him. This is wild to me. It's, this, is, this is unbelievable. But what, it, what Elijah is doing is he's leaving his mark. He's leaving his mark. And if you want to make a difference, you need to invest in other people, not just you. Love other people. This is what it's all about. Taking the time to invest in others. Elijah invested in Elisha, and then eventually Elisha would go on to also make a huge difference in the nation of Israel as a prophet. It did great things. But remember this. Someone first invested in you. Somewhere along the way. You can probably think of, think of who they are. Would you be where you are today without that person investing in you? I want you to think about the person that came alongside of you, saw something in you, and supported you. It could be a parent. It could be a friend. It could be a mentor. It could be somebody just a little bit further along in life than you. It could be somebody a little bit younger than you but has experience to, to, that, that is valuable to help invest in you. It could be anybody. But I'm willing to bet somewhere along the line in your life, somebody came alongside of you and supported you and said, hey, I believe in you. Said, hey, I want want to help you. Because we talk about changing the world, right? The only way we can change the world is if we invest in the next generation. Because the, the weight of the world is not on our shoulders, The weight of the world is on the shoulders of Jesus. But our responsibility is to do one thing at one time, to support one person at one time, to be intentional about that and realize, you know what, it's not all on me. But if I can make a difference in this person's life, then maybe they can make a difference in another person's life. Somebody should always be mentoring you and you should always be mentoring somebody else. You follow me? This is important. I think of um, my mentor is Pastor Kevin, who was at 
Um, many of you know Pastor Kevin, but I know not everybody does. And he, he was a pastor I worked for for 10 years as a youth pastor in Ellicott City at Crossroads. And um, I talked to him on the phone yesterday because he butt-dialed me. <laughs> but anyways, it was still, it, I talked to him and then he was like, oh, well, tell me about what's going on. So it's great. He's out in California now. But um, uh, he, he's still my mentor. When I have things where I'm like, I don't know how to handle this, that's the person I call. And when it comes to being a pastor. And, um, and I'll call him and he helps me walk through things and, and, he, and he thinks about things. But He's my mentor because I was a teenager when I was attending Crossroads. I was, started going there in like ninth grade. And um, as I got a little bit older, he saw something in me. And he decided to intentionally invest in me. And he gave me opportunities to fail. And he gave me opportunities to learn and to grow. And he hired me as a janitor for 20 hours a week while also teaching a middle school class, Bible study class. But that wasn't my paid position. That was something I was doing as a volunteer. My paid position was to sweep the floors and to clean up messes and to put tables away and all those sort of things. Um, But he saw something in me and he invested in me and he continued to invest in me over the years. And I look back on it and there were many times where I was mad at him about things that he would say to me or things he would make me do, or whatever it is. Just like things like, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like showing up on a Saturday and clean up all these tables, or whatever it was, right? Because you don't always feel like doing those things. But he continued to invest in me, continued to invest in me, and gave me opportunities. And I know that I would not be the pastor that I am today if I did not have his, his influence in my life. I know it. And it's, it's humbling when you think about somebody looking at you and saying, man, I see something here. And the good news is, every single person has something to offer. Every single person. Whether it's being a pastor, whether it's being an accountant, whether it's working at a restaurant, whether it's working at the bank, whether it's being a doctor, whatever it is, everybody has value. And somewhere along the way, somebody's going to see something in you. And they're going to say, how can I support? And that's how we change the world, by loving each other, by walking alongside of each other, and by saying, you know what, you don't have to be alone in this. And that's exactly what Elijah did with Elisha. So I'm going to invite the worship team up as we we close. And for you, I, I want you to think about that person in your life. And sometime this week, I want you to reach out to them and just say, hey, Thanks for investing in me. Hey, thanks, thanks for seeing something in me and for giving me opportunity and for supporting me. Because it's going to make a huge difference in that person's life as well. And then what I want you to do is to think about who you are pouring yourself into. Think about who you are investing in. Are you willing, are you willing to take the time to support somebody else. It doesn't mean you gotta, you gotta have 20 people that you're meeting with every week. But it does mean that you should find somebody that you, that you can look at and you can see potential in and you can say, you know what, I'm just a little bit further along in life than this person is and I, I feel like I could make a difference and help them to see them grow. Consider that. Because if we do, man, this world will be a better place much better place but it starts with standing firm in what you know to be true no matter what anybody else says 
And then it's listening to what God continues to say in your life. And then it's investing in other people. Let's stand and let's sing together.